Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. We are all D&D role players and storytellers at heart. It's where we started out, and it's where we find ourselves most at home. So here in our main podcast episodes, we discuss the core rules, how to use them as written, and how to homebrew your own content to get the most out of your story. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules is what makes a campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. Fizzband's been keeping secrets, but now they are ready to be revealed. With the new book, Fizzband's Vault of Draconic Secrets, you'll discover a wealth of never-before-seen draconic power. The over 50-page book from Splinterverse Media includes dragon-themed subclasses for every class. Artificers can harness the power of gems as a gemologist. Druids can transform into dragons as members of the Circle of Scales. Rangers can track and hunt massive monsters as dragon stalkers. Warlocks can be empowered by the Great Worm Patron. And these are just four of the dragon archetypes that await you inside this book. Whether you're looking to bring draconic flair to character creation or level up your game with dragon-inspired feats, horde magic items, draconic gifts, trinkets, adventure hooks, and more. Fizzband's Vault of Draconic Secrets has everything you need to get your dragon on. Available now on the Dungeon Master's Guild. Welcome everybody to today's episode. So Liwanika and I are really excited to be continuing uh, what is sort of uh, a, a month of monsters, I guess. You know, we started the month with our Aliens RPG actual play, which I hope you all enjoyed. And we've been continuing into November here with uh, with content from the Wizards of the Coast book, Fizzbin's Treasury of Dragons, released just a, just a couple of weeks ago. And we're going to go one step further and bring back, uh, like I was saying before the show here, I I think for the first time a repeat guest we are bringing back a tremendous friend of the show jimmy flowers from splinterverse media jimmy how are you doing this fine evening great glad to be back oh, i didn't so try to be crazy to last time i guess <laughs> you <laughs> I mean, we were talking Feywild, so probably <laughs> You couldn't have driven us any more crazy than we started to begin with, and it was a pleasure to have you in the vehicle with us. We're all in that clown car together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and more than that, we are just absolutely uh, pleased as punch, uh, not only to be talking about Splinterverse Media's newest book, Fizzbin's Vault of Draconic Secrets, uh, but Jimmy also brought uh, a, f- a member of his production crew. Um, uh, Matt, welcome to Tabletop Journeys. Very nice to have you. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. This is my first podcast recording, so oh, man. I'm Uh-oh. totally excited. Cool. Well, fresh from uh, the vault. Yes, <laughs> fresh, fresh from the vault. vault. We will endeavor to uh, make this an enjoyable experience. 
tell us about yourself, Matt. I know we, we got a, got to know Jimmy. Our audience got to know Jimmy during our last interview. Give us a brief uh, treatment on uh, all things Matt. Well, I am a creator for uh, Dungeons & Dragons 5e. I've been uh, working this year with Jimmy quite a bit in Splitterverse. I started as a dev editor for him, just working on uh, getting the, the balance right, fine-tuning things. Uh, personally, I've been running TTRPGs, including Dungeons & Dragons, for over 20 years now, and that goes all the way back to a child, the wee age of 13, when I first ran a game. Uh, so I've got a long history of it, been doing it for a long time, and just excited this year that I've been able to focus on player options and help bring the fun to the game for the players in the same way that, you know, I have as a DM at my table for that long. I see. Uh, I see Lee Winika doing the math and, and uh, uh, being a, totally appalled that you were 13, 20 years ago, because yeah, I mean, we've been friends for, <laughs> we've been friends for more than 20 years. So it's impossible that somebody can only be 13 <laughs> We are uh, we are so glad to have both of you both of you on the show tonight. We had such a great time with with Jimmy last time. Uh, we were so glad that uh, that when you put out this book that you reached out to go it uh, come on and uh, and talk about it. There's some stuff to talk about in this book. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll get to that in in a minute here. But um, you know, if I can, um, Matt, I, I really wanted to start with your introduction in the book because I think you know, much like we talked about on our episode about Fisben's treasure of dragons, about how the elegy to dragon kind at the beginning of that book. So set the tone for the book, uh, your foreword in the vault of draconic secrets. So set the tone for the book. So talk about what you wrote in there and, and kind of give a preface for where you came from when you were designing this. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't quite go into, uh, iambic, pentameter like uh, James <laughs> Wyatt chose to do. Uh, but I guess there was a, a bit of poetry in how I wanted to start it off. You know, I, I wanted to let the audience know who Fizban was to me and how important that character was because I, I, I didn't want them to think that I was just putting it on as, you know, this is just a, a tie-in to the Wizards book. It is, you know, Fizban without the Dragonlance trilogy, I, I, I wouldn't have been a TTRPG player ever. Like, it, it never would have crossed my mind. So yeah. the fact that he gave me this hobby, uh, I, I wanted to do that character a service and inhabit it in the best way that I could for, for the book. That's awesome. Yeah. I, and I do think that not to, not to kind of glom up, not to do too much comparison between the two books. Cause that's odd. That's not what we wanted to do tonight is kind of compare them. I will say that one thing that stood out for me. Um, and one thing that we talked about again, kind of in our first Fizz, Fizz bands, uh, uh, review was, uh, that the voice that you gave Fizbin in the Vault of Draconic Secrets was 
definitely different than the voice that came through in the Wizard of the Coast book. Um, and yours seemed to capture a little bit more of the, you know, humor is the wrong word, um, but sort of that sardonic kind of bite to the comments. I thought that that was his... The soul of the character was there. Yeah, but it's much more soulful. Thank you. That's exactly where I was going with that. So I and really think that you did a, did a great job with that. That's that's fair. I mean, because Fizban is a character that meant a lot to me for, you know, over 20 years now, I feel like Amy Vorpal absolutely did an incredible job in Treasury, and I, I would never belittle the work that she did. But she was going off of a, a script in her mind where she had created a particular character. And I had a particular character in mind when I wrote my quotes. Right. They were two different characters. I, I think that they complement each other pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think that she did a phenomenal job knowing the character for over 20 years. It's kind of written into my DNA. I, I've had a Fizban NPC in just about every campaign that I've ever run. Wow. So this was like putting on a, a second skin for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I want to touch on that because Josh has stolen both my first question, my first connection, and <laughs> a lot of the commentary I wanted to say. So I'm not going to like double up on everything. Um, <laughs> but I picked up on what you were saying in your forward. And I realized that Fizbin was also a connection to me. It wasn't as direct as yours, but something that I realized when I was reading Dragonlance the first, second, third through 14th time, and probably 15th Uh through 20th, uh, is that (laughs) I love the fact that it was one of these things. It was almost like a fable. If you treat everybody you meet nicely, good things come to the world. Not just you. I'm not saying a quid pro quo. That I don't think is what they were intending. And that's certainly not what I took from it. But it's just treat people nicely, no matter how odd they may sound, how crazy they may sound, how different from you they may be, whatever their experiences may be, how they look, how they act, how they choose to present themselves. Uh, in some cases, even the pronouns that they prefer to be called. If you just treat people decently, the world becomes a better place. And I think that was kind, at least my take on it. That may not have been the only purpose that Hickman and Weiss put the character in the book for. I yeah. always recalled that. And reading your words, it, it just reminded me of, you know, I wasn't necessarily in that same position where you were, but I have been in that position. Having somebody who fumbled and foibled through through life that may not have fit in, being such an important part of the world is amazing. And I love the fact that you called that out. And I think your take on it was what I see. I read this and this is the voice in my head that I had with Fizbin. And I think it's because we share that similar connection to the character. And interestingly enough, I do think they complement each other because if we had all of your Fizbin quotes and all of her Fizbin quotes, the combination, I think, works really nice. I think some of those were missing some of these. That may be something we come back to uh, without trying to compare the two or demean one person's work versus another's. Oh, of I course. Ju- I just think that this was what I took Fisbin to be. Um, this is, you know, the types of comments. It had some of that sardonicism. I believe that's the right word. Um, 
that Josh mentioned, but it also had that humor, uh, some of that folksy charm in some cases, and some of it just that, well, you just stumbled into brilliance kind of thing, like like almost a Columbo-esque kind of, you just stumbled into the most brilliant thing you've ever heard. Yes, I think that's perfect. Fisben, it's like, that's my take on him, and I really appreciated that that was your take on him as well. Yeah, I mean, if if anybody ever says about me that I have stumbled into brilliance, I will take <laughs> that as the, the highest compliment. As somebody who struggled with their identity early in their life, I have always been looking for the people that were different. And Fizban was definitely the the character that was different. You know, I, I gravitated toward that. And you're right, there, there there's a, a big amount of complexity whenever you're talking about his character. And I think that it's appropriate to say that, you know, all human beings are complex and all characters are similarly complex whenever they're, you know, done right. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, simple labels that I can put on myself. I'm non-binary. I'm autistic. I'm on the spectrum. They're shorthand for a much longer conversation that we condense so that we can interact well as human beings. My, my goal was to do my best to encapsulate who Fizban was while still being entertaining. That's Brilliant. Yeah. Thank you very much for sharing that, Matt. That's, that's absolutely fabulous. Uh, if, uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to start getting off of page three in your brilliant introduction here. Cause there's a lot of more books to go ahead and talk <laughs> about here. Um, uh, although I feel like we, we could, we could talk more on, on this line for, for th- another hour here, but let's, uh, let, let's carry on here. And so the first thing that I wanted to, and I guess this is going to be a question for both you and you and Jimmy here is that, one thing I did want to kind of talk about was comparing this to the last book of yours that we talked about in the Feywild book. Obviously, this book is uh, is shorter, right? The Feywild book was, was what, 150 yeah. pages. This is closer to like 60. So what was the goal? You said that the goal wasn't necessarily to go ahead and, and uh, write a companion to the Treasure of Dragons that Wizards of the Coast put out. So what was the goal behind uh, behind this book? We had some dragon ideas, and then the, the, the book from Wizards was announced, and Matt suggested that we do a, an official book, you know, to go along with it for, from Splinterverse Media. And so it just naturally developed into this. And, and um, there were some things with the, you know, the subclasses that we could see in the, in the Unarched Arcana that there weren't a bunch of subclasses for, for all the other classes. And Matt had a lot of great ideas for that. So it just seemed like a natural place to go. And what it, evolved into is a book that can stand on its own. But I think like Feywild was kind of like the perfect partner to Witchlight in my eyes. Um, This is the perfect partner to the Treasury because it has that player side and then some supplemental stuff to go with some of the DM things that are in the Treasury. Uh, That was definitely something that we noticed is that there was a lot more storyteller stuff in the Treasury of Dragons than player stuff. So um. I think... Uh, the best way to describe it is that the the two books are in harmony. With Feywild uh, Companion, we knew that Wizards was not going to be doing a campaign setting. They were going to be doing an adventure. 
So what did we focus on? We brought the campaign setting. For this, we knew that they were going to be focusing on DM content. So what did we do? We brought the player content. We provided that counterpoint for what was missing and what people might have wanted in both instances. Uh, so I, I, I think that's the, the big thing is we are trying to not replace the content that Wizards is putting out, but we're trying to make it so people can enjoy it more so that yeah. they can have a fuller experience by having both books. It is. It's just that it is a perfect companion. When I was going through the other book, I, as a storyteller, I'm like, okay, I now have my big bad. I now have his lieutenants. I have all these things. Uh, that said, I had this loose idea of what his dragon guard army dragonborn, like that is the military cast. They are the generals, the lieutenants, the high official bodyguards, like whatever the elite guard to the Royals, uh, they are all Dragonborn. The the leaders and generals of the military are all Dragonborn. And I now have a plethora in every type of class I could ever want, dragon-themed uh, subclasses, to build that out. Like, I always had this yeah. idea, and I've specifically kind of left things vague because I had not found what I would feel would make that feel great and unique and, and, and hold firm. So I've left it vague because I didn't have something that I could lock, lock in on. You've given yeah. me a great companion piece to the other book where I filled in some elements, but now I can lock in that military order. Uh, I, I know what I want to do with it. Just going through, I'm like, okay, I can set this up this way. I know what who I'm going to put in there. Um, and I also had as a loose idea, it didn't have to all be Dragonborn. Like, they can go out if they find somebody worthy, bring them into the guard. So, uh, and, and I've got characters, uh, NPCs, that are also vaguely described that I now have powers and abilities and things to make them happen. And now if player characters wish to follow in that path, I've got something for them as well. And I think that that's brilliant. That works really well for my table. Well, yeah. And I, I think that that kind of leads into what I consider to be my like primary design maxim. And that is if the players are having fun it makes the DM's job easier. That's that's the ball game right there. Yep. And that that's what these tools are for. In in the background, here here's the real secret. This isn't a player options book. It's a make DMing easy guide. <laughs> <laughs> you touched on the subclasses a little bit in one of your famous quotes here, Matt. So I wanted to go ahead and talk about those a little bit because, you know, again, just like was done in the Feywild book, uh, it was a focus of this book to have a subclass for all 13 classes in the game. And so, and Jimmy, I'm not sure if we asked you this question exactly this way last time we talked or not, but why is that so important to you in your process? Well, to make sure that you're building out something for, for all 13 classes, what, what is the, the niche that you're trying to fill by doing that so comprehensively? I mean, that's not something that Wizards did in the Fis They came up with two subclasses for the Fizzman's book. What, what's your goal in doing that? Well, I think there are people that just play one or two classes, if we're being real, right? And when you only do 
a couple classes, you're leaving a lot of people maybe disappointed. And, you know, we don't want that. We want something for everyone. Um, it's also a fun challenge. I think Matt and I had a, a blast just thinking, okay, how can we do 13 subclasses and not have them all be the same, just dragon breath here, dragon breath yeah. there, right? Let's find a way to differentiate these, make some of them more broad, some of them very specific. It just, it's just a fun challenge. And, and, and just thinking about that audience, you know, again, we're very focused on reader experience and we want smiles so that they yeah. come back and buy the next book. I think you actually made it so difficult that I couldn't tell you what my favorite part was in this book. Cause I, there's a couple of things I'm like, Oh, this Good. is the one. And then I'm like, Hey, this is the one. And you know, before it's done, I feel like I'm Zathras on B5. I'm like, not the one, this is the one, the one before, but not this one. Like now I don't even know what I'm doing. Like this book well, see, is I, just I, I, that I mean, good. I mean, don't, no disrespect when I say this, but I know exactly what my favorite part of this book was actually. So we'll get there in a minute, I think. Yeah. But, uh, uh, and I, 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 there was one, there was one part in particular that I thought was uh, so ingenious about how it just it, 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 I'll spoiler alert. It's one of the subclasses that I thought the way that you took it and took it, took it way out of the dragon box Utter brilliant. So, so uh, well, and, and one of my favorite parts it happens to be a subclass for a class that has never been my favorite thing in any book before to, before this, and that's oh, I think we're talking about, about the same that. one. That is the barbarian. We might be talking about the same one. The the barbarian no. subclass okay, cool. was amazing. I've never really truly want. I've made a couple, and I made one for a, the Fay. But that was because it just fit kind of thematically and whatever. But I have never wanted to play a barbarian as much as I wanted to play this one because I not only got a story for the character, I got a story for his whole clan, like his, yeah. his people, his village, where he came from, the culture. Everything came out with the uh, Path of the Wyvern. And then I'm thinking what the area was like. It not only filled me with stuff as a player, it filled me with stuff as a storyteller. It it created a whole yeah. section of a you're, world for me. Out of you're connecting stuff. on all those levels. And That's what yeah. I want: emotional, yeah. logical, I mean, mechanical. Just so fun. It speaks to the inner Edgar Rice Burroughs in me, who just loves the fact that somebody could be raised by wolves, gorillas, whatever, uh, wyverns, whatever the case may be, and and basically very similar to the. Uh, uh, pack of the the blinking path uh, barbarian from the last book, where you know that was one that I really liked, but this one just jumped, jumped yeah. off the page. We're just speaking to your inner barbarian heart. <laughs> yes. So let's have you guys talk about. It. So what, what did you? What was uh, uh, in terms of the barbarian? How did you come up with that whole like? Has to slay the wyvern with his own hands to get the powers and all that sort of stuff. Like, wh what? What? depths did you plumb to find that chestnut because man was it good <laughs> well it starts for me uh whenever i'm designing a, th a subclass i first of all want to find a place where wizards has not touched that that's my my most important thing i i don't want to refill niches that they have already filled in in their books so i think of it in 
the the way that some game developers have described how do you create the fantasy and so for this i i thought about you know at, at its absolute core what is a wyvern what are they they are hunters so having this this idea of something that is based on such a a strong concept allows me to build all of these abilities around it and some things are simple for instance the perception and survival i i think don't quote me on this but i think i got those out of what a wyvern has proficiency at it's simple stuff like that delivering the the poison damage being the main class feature that comes directly from a wyvern's tail attack so all of these things they're they're inspired from somewhere and not all of them have one to one like the path of the wyvern is a great example because there are some of these really uh stark examples that i can draw on but you know, it it is that package to create a hunter based on the concept of what is it like to become a wyvern. I think one of the things that I found very amazing is you found a way with your third level abilities, and I'm not going to give them all away because I desperately want people to buy this book, so I'm not going to go feature by <laughs> feature here. Um, this yeah. is me doing my best to hold back, but every single third level feature when you pick up this subclass has both role play potential and role play potential that doesn't happen often three features that are great for rp and are great for combat never happens just doesn't happen that way naturally you'll usually get heavy on one light on another wishy-washy all around or really heavy on one and you have to wait to the seventh level to get the other. And you get, really get this feel that you're never quite getting a lot in any one level level up, right? You, every level up, it's yeah. like, I'm going to get one or the other. I think one of our subclass rankings, we even talked about that. Like it's yeah. the middle feature that's always the RP feature. So it's it's fairly weak. I think fighters tend yeah. to be that way, if I recall. Warlock too, yeah. With this barbarian, it was very clear to me that was like one of the things that like initially like the flavor was there right before I got into the features. But the first thing I noticed about the features is that's my kind of thing. That's why I play a lot of rogues, because I like features that do both. You know, I can use it yeah. in combat, but I also can arc, arc, role play this thing and, and really use it to make a scene. And this barbarian is a better hunter than than many rangers. Yeah, that that's really important to us is that it engages you on those different layers because some people are going to read it looking for the RP, some are going to look for the min max. You know, there, there's all kinds of readers, and we want them to all find what they're looking for and the combination to be special. That's that's something that Jimmy excels at providing those uh, hooks into character creation. It's something that is one of the reasons why I love working with him because he will create something that 
whenever you look at tables that he's put together, or in some cases, some some of the lore, like you're you're building a character as you read, and I I think that that is the perfect experience from yeah. for from my perspective. Yes, I want these to be mechanically strong, but I want it to be easy for a person who picks up this, say it's their first Dungeons and Dragons book. I want them to be able to envision a character by the time they're done reading the section. Yeah. And we, we, we want you to to look at it and come away with so many choices rather than, uh, I don't know, I, I guess I could do this. It's, yeah. uh, you know, we, we want you to get through all the lore and all the mechanics and go, oh, I don't know what to pick. There's so many options here, right? <laughs> that, that sounds that like exactly it worked with you, Lee. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, it totally. did. It, the difference is I will do all the damn things. What I need is <laughs> I need somebody to fund me quitting my full-time job. So all I can do is play these characters. That was, that was one thing that stood out to me about these subclasses so much was just how stinking good they are at third level. Like that is just to make 13 subclasses across the, the 13 base classes that are so, so good at inception. I can't even imagine what your playtesting must be like because, and, and Jimmy, we talked about this a little bit with the Feywild book, but it's got to be so rigorous or y'all are just so good at picking out how to go ahead and make this stuff. Like, like, Luanika, you were talking about the barbarian. I saw the 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 gemstalker rogue with the mental reconnaissance piece that they've got. Yeah, stinking brilliant. Um, the one that got me most uh, and was my second favorite of the subclasses. And Glenn would be rolling over if he heard me say this. But the, the bard physics. subclass. Oh, the bard one. No, the bard okay. subclass. The bard subclass with the with the focus and the detect powers that they got at third level mm. were stinking brilliant just absolutely amazing and and again kind of like luanika like i don't want to say too much about what's in here we want people to go out and, and buy this book please go out support yeah. splinterverse media so that they can keep creating awesome things and coming on the show and talking to us honestly my absolute favorite subclass and my favorite part of the entire book was the sorcerer subclass awesome. the, the the salt water uh, uh, dragon turtle, yeah, the saltwater soul. Thank you, the saltwater soul, dragon turtle, Aboleth inspired sorcerer. Uh, I was reading through. I was like, oh, and and one of the notes that I'd written down was sort of how, okay, for lack of comparing again to the Wizards of the Coast book, right? Wizards of the Coast was very much kind of a dragon companion book, right? It was how to work with dragons, and there was a lot of stuff in your book that was very much dragon hunter centric, right? Um, subclasses that were dragon hunters and there was a dragon hunter background and all that sort of stuff. Very nice. And then I got to the sorcerer subclass uh, and I was like, oh, oh no, no, this is different. Here's the one that like, you know, like swims with the fishes and it's like Aquaman, right? Uh, uh, and if you can make Aquaman cool, then wow, are you doing something right, right? Like this is, it was incredible. That one was... I, I have to admit it was a personal challenge that I gave to myself because I know aquatic themed subclasses are not typically well received. No, they're tough. But yeah. Wizards has done us a favor with uh, their subclasses up to the point of this book. The only specifically dragon themed subclass that they had produced prior to Treasury was the Sorcerer. And because of that, I got to do kind of what we did with Feywild. In Feywild, if 
Wizards had already done the obvious Feywild subclass. I got to play around. And I was <laughs> like, what can I do to create a character that obviously, if if it's an aquatic campaign, they're going to be awesome. But how about if it's not? How do I create something that is viable and is it going to feel bad for the player if you know they're not next to an ocean? And the saltwater soul was my response to that. As far as the writing of it, probably took me longer than any other subclass. Yeah, I can imagine because you're right. I mean, that's that's always the challenge with subclasses is how do you give them unique and vibrant flavor without making them so specific that they're only playable in certain games with certain storytellers, yeah. with certain plots. Um, and that was one of the things that I loved most is like, you know, it, it, one one ability that stands out is the uh, the ability where you you wrap it in. You know, they're so used to frigid water, uh, they're used to those kind of environs, and therefore they get resistance to cold damage. Like that's just a really neat way of giving them a tangible benefit that is based on the flavor, but not constrained by the flavor. And so now you have a character that can play in so many different environments. I mean, that's a that's a great character for. Yeah. Uh, rhyme of the rhyme of the frost maiden as well. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Simply totally. because they they're functional, you know, even if yeah. it's not the specific environment. It was also important to us that we didn't just focus on the typical dragons. That we looked at dragon turtles and sea yeah. serpents and some of these other dragons and gave them some love too, because we knew they were going to be in the in the bestiary part of treasury, and. It just was fun. I mean, we wanted to do something that connected with these other types of dragons and made sure even even in the trinkets table and elsewhere, we're mentioning other types of monsters uh, because we didn't want to be just, you know, red dragon this, red dragon that. The biggest thing for me, like even even when Watsi hadn't entered that draconic space, we had ones like one of my personal favorites in the book is the dragon domain. And the it. reason for that is... We have the first domain to have an extra attack feature in it. These are things that we look at, you know, deciding the design space. Yes, you get a breath weapon, but we're also going to create the best frontline fighter cleric that we can to fill yes. another niche that's not necessarily there. That That's what we thrive on is... Mm the coming up with these liminal spaces that are not covered and, and a table of deities yeah, for the I'll, DM to use. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, I, that's where I was going to go. I was going to say, you provide a table of deities, you provide this domain. You mentioned very specifically something that I have been clamoring for, for cleric domains and clerics for years in a world where gods are real. Nobody believes in just one God. they, honor the pantheon they have a specific patron and your book speaks to that fact which is very reminiscent and very accurate to classical greco-roman times and such they honor the whole pan pantheon people will venerate various deities on whatever their day is however each household has a specific deity that is their households or their house's name uh, named deity uh, and this domain speaks to that universal truth within so glad you time. picked up on that and <laughs> whenever you're ready to take a trip 
you give a sacrifice to the deity of travel. Whenever you're getting ready to prepare your harvest, you give a sacrifice to the deity of the harvest that, you know, it's, it's a normal thing about mythology and it's kind of lost in some, I, I will say I, my background in that, I have always had an interest in Shinto. I was going to say, my younger years was spent a lot of time reading a lot of classic literature and mythology. We all experience it. We all have had touches of classic literature. It's in everything that our modern society deals with. And when you can call to it, it speaks to people better. And then you turn that around and make it a, bring in a mechanic that carries that forward. Like you get to um, make these choices as far as what your breath weapon is going to be, but that's going to be based on that patron. You know, you can have any choice you want, but now you've got one that's locked in based on your patron. Uh, And I think that that's exactly where more domains in the future need to go. In that way, you have turned around and built a frontline cleric who's on par with the forge cleric and the war cleric. We have a big weekend here at Tabletop Journeys. We're going to do our first live taping at Dr. James Con this weekend. It's a convention being thrown in honor of dear friend of the show, James Hosier, by his brother Sheldon. The live show is going to start around 4 p.m. Saturday, November 6th, so make sure you tune into our YouTube channel and check it out. But more importantly, this is normally the part of the show where we ask you to help support us by joining the legions of Patreon subscribers. Instead, today we'd like you to help us give a bucket of money to the James A. Hussier College Admissions Assistance Fund. We have a GoFundMe campaign running right now, and we want to support their mission in providing assistance to poor, minority, and otherwise disadvantaged individuals by helping them overcome the hurdles in applying for college, including to help pay for application fees, filling out financial aid, and scholarship form. If everybody listening to this episode right now gave $5, we would double our goal. So help us reach it by going to www.gofundme.com slash F slash J-A-H-C-A-A-F. And thank you for your support. The products that you guys are putting out are just so compelling. If anybody listening to this doesn't get anything else from our conversation here, it's that the products you're putting out are compelling. I want to I want to move on from subclasses into uh, into the backgrounds, and I'm sure that my my co-host here, Lee Winico, has lots to say about the backgrounds. And so I just have one question I want to throw out there uh, before I, I let him kind of go off here, and that's the the two backgrounds, the dragon hunter and the dragon tamer, very much seemed to me to be sort of two sides of the same coin. And so I wanted to have you guys talk about that a little bit about how kind of those two backgrounds were conceived and sort of what the relationship between the two of them that that you saw uh, as you were writing them was. Yeah, you picked up on our intentions. I mean, Matt and I were conversing about it and, you know, I forget, I think Dragon Hunter came to mind first and then Matt suggested, well, what about having something on the opposite side of the spectrum so that you have one that's kind of an enemy of dragons and one that's an ally of dragons. And I thought that was brilliant. And so- I set about writing them and, you know, as usual, I go into my heart space and just kind of imagine that I am that, that dragon hunter or that dragon tamer and just let it out and then go back and revise and share it with Matt and get Matt's feedback and just, (laughs) um, just keep tuning it until it feels like it's right. And it was just fun because 
there's just so many places to go. I mean, you think about the hunter's backstory and when you look at some of the hooks that we wrote for that, there, there's just some really fun angles you can have with the hunter because they could have made mistakes. They had to be trained in some way. And so you have all of that. And then on the other side, you've got this tamer that has a pet lizard like, respecting the, these animals. And so they could, they could not only clash, but yeah. they just have a function that relates to dragons. And even if you don't have a dragon theme campaign, they still have an interesting perspective that can, yeah. can play a role. Maybe they're going to be looking for dragons, even if there aren't any in your campaign and that can be comical or what happens with this pet lizard or, yeah. or maybe there's, there's other types of hunting going on that the dragon yeah. hunter can be like, well, that's not, you should see a dragon and you know, all of this stuff. Right. And just kind of yeah. um, really, it, it gives you I mean, a place for RP. I, I just thought of this great dwarven character, that curmudgeon that's very uh, tropish for a, dwar- oh. for a dwarf, but he's a dragon hunter, but he's in a world that doesn't just doesn't have a lot of dragons and doesn't have any. <laughs> right. And, and literally, well, he's like, as bad as that is, it's not as bad as a dr- as when a dragon exactly. bites you. you know, the yeah. running joke. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, that fireball is bad, but it's not a dragon fireball bad. I will totally let your dwarf be my swarm keeper dragon hunter. I will yeah. totally, we can totally co-op that. Like that's, yeah. like I, that's, that'd be perfect, you know? And I just, and there's something just hysterical about, about a swarm keeper with a swarm of lizards that just like, I could not get that image uh, out of my head uh, when I was thinking about this. Uh, uh you're definitely the backgrounds guy. So have at it. What else you got? So anytime you're going to take something that is so primordial as dragons and why hasn't there been these before? You talked about filling these spaces, these voids that Wizards has left unintentionally or intentionally. And the question that comes to my mind is it didn't even dawn on me that there wasn't this before. It, it really does capture, it fits beautifully with any of the subclasses that you've got here. It fits beautifully with some characters that I've already done. Like there's so much it can do. Like I lean more towards the hunter than the tamer. Uh, I don't know why that mm-hmm. is as I look at both of them. Um, maybe it's because the type of characters I tend to play are rogues and fighters more than anything else. And if I play other things, they are more like interesting shades on the theme of a rogue or a fighter. The tamer is is fun. It's interesting. I love the fact that Cook's utensils are the tool proficiency there. Um, <laughs> Chef was his favorite feat from Tasha's, so yeah, I have to give him you know, uh, I'm, I'm thinking, so, you know, you have a fondness for dragons. Is that like my fondness for pigs because I'm a big fan of bacon? I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but, well, you got to feed all these pets you have, right? Yeah, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough, you know. There's a lot of good role play with both of these. And I think that's what a background really needs to do. It needs to give you the ability to inform the scenes you're going to portray. And there are so many backgrounds out there that don't do that well versus the ones that do. And I think this does it well. I've never looked at a background particularly for its mechanical benefits. However, this ha- these have some really good ones. Um, I find animal handling to be a very strong and not often used skill. Uh, it's one that I try to bring up in my games a lot more frequently than I see in most printed material. If I'm building that barbarian, I want that dragon hunter. It's a balancing act writing backgrounds because you could really go hard on every single row in those tables and have dragon mentioned in every single one of them. But what I was trying to do, and I always try to do when I write backgrounds, 
is to mix it in. So it's not every single row so that you can find some parts of your character that aren't even attached to the dragon, but fit comfortably, you know, whether it's maybe being a vegetarian because you care about these animals, you know, that's not mentioning a dragon, but it fits in the narrative that, that, that works in that space. And I just, to me, it's one of the funnest things to write backgrounds because it's all in those I statements. I, I, you know, this, I, that, and it's, it's just really easy for me as a writer to connect when I'm speaking in that first person. So I just kind of imagine that I'm these characters and then it starts, you know, flowing out. When I was reading the subclasses, one of the things that struck me is every time I got to a spell, I was compelled to click on the new spells. So I had actually read most of the new spells before I got to the spell section. And I found some brilliant spells that way that I'm like, wow, it's so good. Like, I love Chromatic Bolt, by the way. I'm not trying to give everybody all the goodies, right? This is a cookie jar. Everybody's got to go buy so that they can get their own cookies. But this was singing to me because I am bored to tears with Elder's Blast. It's a fun spell. It's a great spell, but I'm bored to tears with it. Um, But there needs to be something that has that general level of power that is not that. And this fills that need wonderfully. It's it's a different spell. And I think that that spell more than any in the book speaks to my DMing style personally, because I am the the type of DM that I will hand my characters a much stronger challenge than they might expect. But I will add in a weakness that's lore based to that particular monster. And by doing so, I get to give them more epic stories. So Chromatic Bolt was one that I I selfishly put in there as a a concept of, you know, this, this is a way that you can create more epic stories by focusing on the weakness, the rock, paper, scissors nature of games like Persona and whatnot. Like, you know, you've got that option there if you want it. And it's, you know, it's not the most powerful until you hit a weakness. And then it is. And, And it covers some things that Josh and Glenn and I speak about episode after episode after episode. Scale and consistency. It's a simple yep. set of mechanics. It scales beautifully. You're one die tier one effectively. Your next level up, you're, tier t- you're getting two, three, and four. I love things like that. It's actually fairly thematic in your book. I noticed that throughout your subclasses that whenever you have something that scales, it scales very cleanly, evenly, nicely. And that is... Uh, it's literally almost like you guys reached into Glenn's brain and said, what would make anything better? And you pulled this out uh, and and you did the thing. And I I just really, really dig that. Yeah. There's no fail on that. (laughs) And I mean, a lot of that comes from, you know, 5e has great scaling built in, you know, that this is the, the at higher levels edition you know they they've introduced some incredible mechanics at wizards that 
before I started playing 5e, I couldn't have imagined the way they would have streamlined it. And these are just reflections of that, right? In, in some ways. So I, I will, you know, give hand to the masters in, in some regard there. Talking about the, the different spells, we did a couple of updates from third edition in there. Uh, so we had some 3.5 spells that we brought up because we know that there are people that are looking for those all the time. And the scaling's different, but I think that we got it right as far as like the power level for different things. And you could think of these spells as something if you're already like knee deep in a campaign, but you want to add a little bit of dramatic, uh, draconic flair to the character. This is your way to do it. We didn't want to leave out people that are in the middle of those long games where they can't, you know, break out and, and get this subclass. We wanted to throw them something where they can get in on the fun. One thing that I wanted to ask about on the spell list section, and I want to echo, first of all, Leonica said, the spells in here are fantastic. We could go through each one and have an hour-long episode about each one. But <laughs> one thing that I wanted to talk about in the spell list section as a whole, and the the reason why I bring this up is because it is something that we noticed in the Treasury of Dragons is that for as comprehensive as the spell list in the book was, there were no spells on the Warlock spell list in the book. All of them, they basically ignored Warlocks altogether. In your list, there's only one spell that is that is tagged specifically as available to the Warlocks. And so is there anything that makes that that makes that situation happen because you guys, you guys are so smart and you put so much care into putting everything together is what is it about kind of the interplay of the spell list and the warlock that made that a challenge for you guys? Well, here, here's the, the skinny of warlock design for you. Probably 80% of warlocks are going to be using Eldritch Blast, maybe 90%. You know, it's, it's a really high number. Those that aren't are using, you know, Green Flame Blade combined with their Hexblade subclass, right? Yeah, yeah. Then a lot of them are going to have Hex up. That takes up a lot of their space yeah, and they as spell a class. Yeah. And the thing is, like, I could have pinned Draconic Might, for instance. I could have said... You know, this is a warlock spell too. But what am I doing if I do that? Because I'm then encouraging a warlock player to put up their concentration for draconic might instead of their eight hour hex. Hmm. So I might be encouraging bad play by doing that with newer players. So that that's kind of what I think about. And you notice that in the one spell that we had on the Warlock spell list, it's Kinetic Orb. It is an instantaneous duration. So it fits in and it's not going to trap Warlock players into casting a spell that's going to weaken their class overall. And I, I don't know if Watsy is doing something similar. If my brain is hooked up to Jeremy Crawford, then, you know, I, <laughs> I, all, I think I would be very happy. All, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's you know, where that comes from. Well, I really appreciate Such a good that answer. Thank answer you for that. Because yeah. 
it is not an answer that we've had before. And I, I'll be honest, the, the episode's already recorded. We came down pretty hard on that issue before. Yeah. Um, part of it is we don't know them. We're getting to know the two of you, and we are able to ask you the questions. We weren't able to ask Crawford and his team the questions. Um, Hashtag Jeremy, call your voice TTJ. But um, that's a brilliant answer, and that is far better than anything I've seen on Reddit. Generally, you get a diatribe of that's because they hate warlocks or that's because warlocks are too powerful. I like that answer, and that makes a lot more sense, and it's something that I can take in – design to things we do and certainly in things we homebrew because I have been in situations where people have asked me that question. I didn't have a good answer. And so my answer was, yeah, "Yeah, just do it. And I just do it. it, Without even realizing it created that situation and then wondered why they were less effective thereafter, even though they got what they wanted and not even realizing that's, that was part of that, that mix. Yeah. And that's always something that I ask myself. And the the questions are different based on what class you're designing for. But with Warlock, if I am putting a concentration spell in their spell list, I have to ask, is this going to be better than Hex in at least some situations? Answer, no, throw it out. That's fair. Like that's why, why, why fight against the tide, yeah. I wanted to talk about your about the feats again, kind of in general, because each one again was so stinking good. I mean, you've got this fantastic spread of uh, of feats that have just a collection of great abilities. You've got uh, a collection of feats that have that give you your one point ASI for a slightly less uh, for a slightly lesser kind of list of abilities. Fabulous balance. Everything seems fantastic. The point that I wanted to go ahead and talk about was sort of. In some of them, you are picking up the trend that we've been seeing in other, uh, in other uh, Wizards of the Coast products where spell-like abilities are part of the range of things that a feat can now do. Um, and sort of, uh, there's been some discussion on the internet about how that sort of, uh, how that plays into um, the spell economy and how, uh, you know, the, Jimmy, I think we talked about this on the last episode, or, uh, or at least we talked about it on our episode about uh, Wild Beyond the Witchlight with Kellick, uh, who got uh, basically the ability to cast Fireball as an inherent ability as opposed to having to do it as a spell. Um, and so what I wanted to uh, uh, kind of ascertain is, where do you guys come down on sort of that that point? Why why take what's the benefit that you see when you're writing rules to taking spells and making them inherent abilities? Um, and what are sort of the pluses and minuses behind that? And why construct a feat that way? I think that's a, an excellent question. I think that's been the the million dollar question as far as the community is concerned, especially with the the changing over of monster stat blocks. And uh, putting my design brain to it, it is very similar to the, the concept that I was talking about with Warlock. It's making people uh, not susceptible to making bad plays. I think the, the majority of the things that are becoming spell-like effects as opposed to uh, casting spells are things that people would not want to counterspell having them out there being able to be counterspelled could encourage negative play from 
you know, newer players. And I, I think that's a lot of what 5e design is about, is making it more uh, new player friendly. And I, I think it's it's a choice. You can say that it's a positive or negative choice, but I think that that's kind of something that's behind a lot of those design decisions. And we did, you know, some things like that here, but we're going to, when we're doing these tie-in books, we're going to look at how we can do things like Watsi is doing them. We're not there to judge. We're there to enhance the player experience. And I would add, you know, feats are optional in some tables and they're also, there's also an assortment of them, right? We have some that are like that, some that are not. So if you aren't a fan of those then you have some that aren't that you can pick so but yeah matt's exactly right we we want to play within sort of the the boundaries that that watsi establishes because we do want to feel like an extra watsi book when we can and i'll let you in on uh something from my table there is a feat that i wrote for fey wild companion that i banned at my own table why why it was because it didn't fit within the table because it was doing something that I already do. I, it, for inspiration, instead of doing the, you have inspiration or you don't, I set out a tape, uh, a bunch of D sixes. And whenever somebody rolls a D 20, they can take one of those D sixes and they can use it. If they make me laugh, if they help me out, or if they do something that's really in character, I add a D6 to the pile. And so that's the right. Fey Luck feed from Feywild Companion wouldn't work at my table. Right, right. And it's that's the same for any table. When the, the number one thing that I heard from players at my table was that they didn't remember even that inspiration was a thing. So I added this, I put it in front of them, see, you know, see, not hear what's going on, you know. I, I absolutely agree that it's all about whether your players are having fun. One of the things that I love about my games, one of them I run for a normal D&D session. It's pretty close to four hours, plus or minus. The other one runs very short time. It's about two hours every other week because it's done weeknights. We all work, we all have lives, kids, all of those things. So we get together after work and we play virtually for about two and a half hours. Um, and I know I've done a good session when I say, and I'll see you next, uh, I'll see you in two. And everybody's like, no, oh, uh, uh. and then I can just watch the chat window on Facebook for the group go for it. Like two <laughs> hours after I'm done, I'm like, did yeah. my job. Did, That's I, the good I, stuff. I can hang my hat. I can hang my hat up now. I did my job, you know, and I (laughs) love when those things happen. Uh, That's, that's when I feel most satisfied and most fulfilled as a DM is when I know I've left people in that position where it's like, this was so exciting and I can't wait till we get back to it. I think that's, that's the most exciting thing about providing additional player options like this is we're basically you know, setting up, we're serving to the DM to provide these so that they can come back and hit that home run at the table. That's yep. that's why I say this is secretly a DM book. 
because it's full of player options to make it easier for you to have those home run moments, to have those big story moments at your table. And and so much of it is appropriate for NPCs. And that's why it's important when you get to the hook section that we had hooks that were NPC focused as well as player focused, because we really wanted to tie it all together and show you that just because it seems like it's a player option, it's, it can be more than that. Luminika, any other questions for you or oh, what's next? I think that's the best, like, yeah, you got me. please. Like, yeah. The conceit yeah. here is you've got me. I mentioned to you, Jimmy, in one of our conversations uh, that one of, one of our listeners and a good friend of mine, and actually one of my storytellers picked up the Feywild companion immediately after listening to our episode of, uh, on that. And I, we've already had our taste uh you know some things have already happened from that book just in that that awesome. adventure and more to come uh yep. we're about to go deal with some dragons so i imagine this is next on his list <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. so uh I, I can tell you that you've got us hooked uh what's next what can we expect from the universe uh yeah. what do i have to wait baitedly for <laughs> and, you know how, how quickly can we give you more money yes please right <laughs> well it's coming i mean we matt and i have gone through the list the backlog and there's probably about 20 different books that we've already got in various stages of of idea to more fleshed out outlined etc but 2021 was really about proving the brand showing you what we can do demonstrating that we're able to meet those deadlines you know we we all of these books that we're talking about they were they were released the day before the watsi book to just show you that we can meet deadlines and that we can get get stuff out there that's relevant but next year we're gonna we're gonna be doing kickstarters and we've got one in mind that is going to be the first one it has to do with evolving things and and taking things in new directions that that are unexpected in all parts of the game so that that's the first one and then we've got two others that are queued up like planes on a runway to go after that so you'll be seeing those there's some various things that we'll be setting up a mailing list and things like that to keep people informed and until then you know follow us on twitter at splinterverse etc but we'll continue to look at opportunities to do tie-ins uh, because we we love we will love the wizards IP and we love uh, doing things on DM's Guild, but we want to branch out, do some kickstarters to just yeah. increase our 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 reach and our capability. Because you know, kickstarters uh, are going to be more of a, a you know fun centric option, whereas DM's Guild it's 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 more of a labor of love based on how yeah. the the profit sharing works and things like that. Right. So. Um, yeah. We want to go that way anyway, because we've got some ideas that are really expansive, really, um, I think, earth shattering. Hmm. So we can't wait for you to see them. Yeah. Well, I, I hope and, that you know that you uh, you have an, a standing invitation to come on the show and talk about – like you want to come on the show and read the phone book, Jimmy and Matt. Like please, you're welcome to as long as it is – as long as the phone book that y'all have written, like please, <laughs> like you are welcome. I obviously am continuing to work with Jimmy on Splitterverse content, but I do have some uh, other solo things. Uh, I, I am currently hoping – uh, by the end of the year to have my first adventure out on DMs Guild. If you are looking for that, you can follow me at asynthetic20 uh, on Twitter. Uh, also, I am going to be doing a charity stream with uh, Wesselhausen uh, as part of a charity series to benefit the uh, Stonewall Community Foundation. 
as part of their Turf Wars campaign. That uh, charity week is going to include over uh, 20 trans, non-binary, and gender-diverse uh, gender content creators as players, storytellers, panelists, and that's going to be running all throughout November 13th to uh, November 20th. And I can say I am tentatively scheduled to be doing a uh, game as part of that stream. There's uh, awesome. a lot of fun things to to keep you snacking on while we wait for the next Splinterverse that release. Is, oh, that can't wait. Can't wait. Awesome. Yeah. Jimmy, can you take this opportunity to uh, send up a signal with all of your connects uh, channel, YouTube channels and ways our, our audience can continue to interact with you? Totally. Yeah. I'm I'm on all the platforms at Splinterverse, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Uh, I do a weekly YouTube series where I'm chatting up various DMs Guild releases and drive through RPG. It's just me sort of stumbling through the webpage, looking at what's new and just pontificating about it. And it's a <laughs> lot of fun. I'm always surprised at what new content is out there. And uh, there's going to be more stuff coming to the YouTube as the year is coming to a close because I do want to add some more content on there uh, now that it's D&D focused. And um, Twitter, we have polls on there, various things happening. Um, and uh, we're going to have a website hopefully by the end of the year where we're going to have a blog and all kinds of stuff. So just make sure you follow me at Splinterverse and, you know, Matt at Asynthetic 20. And uh, we will keep you fed with some stuff until we get to the to the to the real meaty next book until the <laughs> Actually, next can, cannot wait and uh, i just want to say uh, i have been uh i subscribed and i've been uh, watching the weekly uh youtube videos on dm's guild and i think i told you this jimmy at one point like it is the channel my wife hates me to love because all I want to do is like, oh, that's a good one. And I literally, I think the first one I watched, I literally just pulled up like six things. <laughs> it's so hard not to buy everything he talks and about. Click on oh. that link, click on that link, click on that link. You know, uh, fortunately, a lot of things on DMs Guild are priced very pleasantly. Yes. It, <laughs> yeah. it feels to me like I'm on QVC when I'm doing it because I'm just like, oh, and now we have this. And I just get excited about all the stuff because I, I don't know. I just... I chose with that that show to just be positive because I do see things sometimes when I'm when I'm recording that I could be critical of or negative of, but I just I really love this community. I want everybody to succeed. I feel like there's room for everybody, and just because I might think something is maybe out of balance or not the best thing, it might be somebody else's favorite thing. So I don't really want to be the person that's like, well, that's not balanced or whatever, right? Unless it's in, in a product I'm putting out. So so it's really a fun time for me to just see what people are up to. And then when I get to tell them that they're in the video, a lot of them get excited. Sometimes I find things that are wrong with their page because I'm looking at it as a customer and they get excited <laughs> that I help them fix it. That's exactly what I was going to call out. Like you mentioned in the first one I watched, there's a couple things for like, you know, I don't know if you're showing us everything you want to show us in that preview, what have you. And I think somebody did comment like, oh, thank you. Yes. I'll get that fixed. Um, yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, who else does that? Like just helps yeah. other creators. Yeah. I mean, technically it's, it's my competition. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I don't know. I just love the community and I want to help. I actually took a cue from that. Uh, I know people that cre do some content creation and I've tried to take that same tactic. Like, 
not sure if this is what you're going for, but if it is, you may want to show it this other way or what have you. And I think uh, that's a brilliant way of doing things. Um, it's a great way to be positive and help uh, other people, whether they're competition or just people you know, whatever their endeavor may be. And I think that's so awesome. And so many people in the community could really learn from that. It's a it's a very artistic focused or art art creator, content creator focused way of paying it forward it, that I think is beautiful. It's hard because, you know, there's people out there that put out these books on DMs Guild and they have these dreams of what's going to happen. <laughs> and then they put it out and it's crickets, right? And yeah. so I just I just try to imagine that I'm them and what, what do they want to hear? What do they want to know, you know, and just, just help and maybe give them something uplifting that somebody noticed and here it is and maybe somebody also noticed maybe somebody else will buy it and it'll take off you know um it's just really frustrating to do all that work and and either nobody buy it or nobody comments um because you just you just need that feedback to keep motivating you so if if i can shine a light on some of these people or make them feel better or whatever it's just it's just a blessing all that to go ahead and say, uh, Jimmy and Matt, what an awesome time it has been uh, having you guys on to go ahead and talk about your new book. Thank you so very much again for, for coming on. Uh, thank you. really mean it. Any time that you yes, guys put something you. out there, the, the door is open uh, for you. So, yeah. and It's always a blast. And, and to our audience, if we haven't made this immeasurably clear, go out and get this book this book is Throw money at these folks, amazing yeah. it, it while the page count is only about 50 to 60 pages what i can tell you is the material is fantastic uh yeah. the art that's in there is great there's some amazing pictures that uh we didn't even touch on mm. tonight but uh like i said get the book you'll see the pictures this yep. stuff is fantastic yep yep absolutely i think that that is our episode for tonight so once again buy the splinterverse book Jimmy, Matt, thank you very much for uh, for coming on and uh, sharing some time with us tonight. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk to you guys again. So, <laughs> Thank you. Looking forward right, to it. it. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we will talk to you again next week. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our SideQuest series where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.